Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate you spending some time with the show. A lot of questions about the economy. When is their breaking point for people? We understand inflation is hurting a lot of families, and we want advice on this. We talked about, we've talked with Kristen Bentz about COVID and what it was doing to the retail industry. She's a retail an- analyst with KB Advisory Group. That's her company. She's done this for a very long time, and I asked her to come back. And uh, Kristen, I want to start here. I want to start with where is the breaking point for families with this inflation? When do families have to change everything they do just to survive? Well, that's a great question. So if your median income is about 60 grand, let's say, and you're a family of four, you're already hurting. So there's been so much talk about people being paid to stay home and stimulus and all that stuff. All that's gone. Okay. So when you have lower income families that can't work from home because of their jobs, let's say you're a dental hygienist, like you got to kind of go to the office for that, right? So people that can't work from home that have to gas up their car every day and suffer food inflation, I mean, we've seen the worst inflation all around since 1982. They're hurting already. So, you know, you don't need, I follow the consumer in all stretches of, you know, their income, whether they're a luxury high-end consumer or low-end. So the luxury consumer, it's going to, you know, kind of, it'll be a nightmare for them to fill up, you know, their boats in the spring or their cars and they're feeling it, right? But they can handle it. It'll just flow through and it's going to be kind of a nuisance for them that they really, you know, aren't happy about. Lower income consumers, income consumers, they don't have a choice. And so that basket of goods that they're buying at the grocery store every month to feed their family, that's been cut in half. So the breaking point, unfortunately, for the low end, it's happening now. All right. So let me let me give a scenario to tell me if this is correct or not. A lower income family um, that is really hurting right now has to alter what they do. And they're running out of discretionary income. They're not buying things they normally buy. They're not shopping at places they normally shop. They're not eating out. They're not doing these things. When does it start to affect the economy of the places like, let's say, Walmart or, or Target or places where, you know, families shop to save money? Does it hurt them or does everybody start shopping there to save money and it actually helps them? Well, you know, it did when we had these transfer payments, right? Walmart and Amazon are huge recipients of government transfer payments. And what I say, what, you know, what I mean when I say that is government stimulus, right? Because you want that stimulus to go as far as you possibly can. SNAP benefits, food stamps, those will go much further at, let's say, a Walmart than they would at, you know, another higher end grocer, right? So you're going to see fewer trips. And that's something that's very easy to see. Um, and the amount of goods, that basket of goods that they're buying per month is going to shrink as well. They're not going to go out. And so you have a country that's been pent up, right? And now they can actually go out and, you know, all of these crazy mandates are being lifted and it's spring break. But now you can't because it's costing you more money <laughs> to take your family out. You know, it used to be going to the movies would be a great thing. Everyone's so excited to go back to the movies. Well, now that would be a cost prohibitive event considering, uh, you know, gassing up your vehicle and paying for food and all of that good stuff. It's also going to hit the gig economy. People don't understand how interrelated all this is. And this is what, you know, is so fascinating about economics. I was explaining this to my twin 13-year-olds the other day. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you can't believe it. So that DoorDash that you're trying to get, the Uber that you're trying to get, that's going to be more expensive. And those drivers are going to slowly stop driving because they're paying through the roof for gas. 
And that, that was going to be my next question is, what does it do to the rideshare industry when Uber and Lyft are both saying they are going to add a per-mile fuel charge that's going to go to the drivers? It may help the drivers a little bit, but what does it do to the people that are taking those rideshare services? Well, the problem is the cars are going to be fewer and far between. You know, And it's not just happening here in Phoenix. It's happening all across the country. So it's harder to find those drivers to deliver your food, deliver your groceries, and to take you places. And that's going to start hitting everyone. Is there a direct connection between this immense increase in gas prices and a drop in the retail sector that you watch so closely? Oh, absolutely. Apparel sales, my gosh, apparel inflation is the highest it's been since 1982. So, you know... Kids' feet grow. Kids grow no matter whether they're, you know, in school or at home, right? So you've got to clothe your kids. You've got to get new shoes for them. They're growing. And the amount of inflation in, in apparel is just skyrocketing. Um, that's hurting folks. And then, you know how you and I talked about the supply chain issues, right? Right. And most of that was, a you know, a result of COVID and ports shutting down in certain countries, all of that. Now, what you have is it's going to cost them so much to transport those goods to you. Now they're just going to slow down because they, they don't have a choice. Before, it was a workaround, right? I have to buy a container ship like Walmart did, and we're going to circumvent Vietnam. We're going to circumvent all of these other ports to get our goods to market. And if it costs us a little more, so be it. We did that for Christmas. Now, it's going to be cost prohibitive to get those goods to you. And that's when things start getting really dicey. So when do you see any of this easing? When do you see an easing of inflation? And when do you see an easing on the on the on the retail sector? Well, to just kind of come full circle, it's really about energy independence. And so you and I could talk about oil and gas for days. I know it's very sexy, (laughs) (laughs) but that's the first way um, for the U.S. to alleviate all of this drama is to really invest in U.S. oil and gas. That will be the first way to alleviate all this. Um, You know, you have a luxury consumer that can prop up the economy, but it's only for so long. So, you know, to them, the market looks great. You know, we see some like little like, you know, glimmers of a recessionary environment. But for the most part, you know, once we sort out this Ukraine issue, um, the market will skyrocket. And, And I see that coming to an end um, sooner rather than later, hopefully. But, yeah, the energy independence, that will be the first way to kind of dig us out of the situation. I always enjoy your expertise. And I tell I tell everybody you're such a great follow on social media. When people want to find you, how do they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Kristen Bess, and there's only one, and it's me. And then they can find me on Instagram, which is Kristen C, like Cookie Bentz. And it's Bentz, B-E-N-T-Z. B-E-N-T-Z. All right, and I, I really appreciate you coming on, and I hope you'll come back because it's so much fun talking to you, and you're always a wealth of information. Anytime. You know I love you guys. All right, thanks. That is uh, Kristen Bentz, KB Advisory Group. She's been a retail analyst for a very, very long time. Worked on Wall Street with some of the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest companies on Wall Street because of her wealth of information. And uh, it's just a lot to look at for working families and what it's going to cost them uh, to stay right now, to stay viable, to stay alive, to stay afloat. Um, Gas prices, you know, food. And I hadn't even thought of the retail sector as she talked about. As those prices climb, what do parents do that have to close their kids? It's one thing for a parent. I've talked, I've mentioned this in public many times when I've spoken about my mom. My mother went a decade plus probably without buying herself any new clothing. She just wore old clothes. 
and she sacrificed that. But my brothers always had school clothes. You can't stop clothing your kids. You have to clothe your children. And uh, that's going to be tough. It's going to be really difficult for parents moving forward. Coming up in a moment, um, climate change. We're going to talk about this, as you just heard Kristen mention, energy independence. At what cost? I want to talk about who we're doing business with and what's happening. We'll do that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. I want to talk about what's happening. We just spoke with Kristen Bentz, who is a retail analyst, and how it affects the everyday lives of people in the retail side of things. We talk about gas. We talk about the price of homes and rent and things going up, but specifically the retail side of things, what it's doing to families. And she mentioned something about energy independence. And I want to talk about that because we are not even working at all on that path. What we are doing is going to other nations. So I want you to think about the the thought process behind what's happening in our country and see if it makes sense to you. We have stopped doing business with Russia, which is obviously a good thing. But what we are doing now is going to nations, Saudi Arabia. And in Saudi Arabia, they just had a mass execution. So a uh, State Department press secretary, State Department spokesman, was talking to reporters, and a reporter asked the State Department to denounce these executions. I want you to hear what happened. I don't have anything else to say about 81 people just being somewhere we, we are to, being executed. We, we have been clear about our concerns about the lack of respect for fair trial guarantees uh, in Saudi Arabia. We've documented this uh, in our human rights reports. Uh, we've raised these concerns with the Saudi government. We'll continue to do so. But if you do think that it's an issue, why aren't you coming out more forcefully and talking about it? We are talking about it, and I just spoke of our I, fair trial guarantees and that kind of thing, but you didn't say anything about about the executions or whether you thought that they were... Uh, we're talking about... You were, I, I offered that in the context of the question about the 81 executions that took place on Saturday. Well, do they know that you, think that, <clears throat> that you have concerns about the mass execution of 81 people? Matt, they, they are well aware of our concerns. So I want you to hear something else that's happening. First of all, so the Saudis are another nation that we have, are one of the nations we've gone to. They wouldn't answer the phone. The UAE was another one. They didn't answer the phone. There was a meeting in Venezuela so that, that regime in Venezuela that have, has decimated that country and has seen it uh, go to poverty levels that were unbelievable, as much oil and wealth as that nation was sitting on just a couple of decades ago. And the Iranians. The Iranians just fired four missiles into Iraq recently. The Iranians have sworn that they are going to wipe Israel off the map. That is still a part of their constitution, that they are going to wipe Israel off the map. And yet, we are still negotiating a, a deal, a nuclear arms deal with Iran. The president and this administration is doing that because Iran says, hey, when you lift the restrictions off of us, we'll up our oil production. So you've gone from one evil empire to another. This is why, again, if you're someone that's a climate change advocate, fair enough. You know, I, We can disagree on a lot of different things that need to be done to keep our planet clean and to keep the air and the water clean and all of those things. But how can you advocate for as long as we need oil? How can you advocate for doing business with these countries? And then I the other the response is, well, what we need to do is become energy independent. Great. Great. 
But your means of energy independence is alternative fuels. In Houston, it was the first ever Sarah, Sarah Week at uh, the S&P Global Energy Conference in Houston. The special presidential envoy for climate change is John Kerry laid out goals. He said, we, ha- we have to do enough in 2020 to 2030 to be able to achieve net zero in 2050 referring to a goal in which we would reach zero carbon emissions by 2050. In order to get that zero by 2050, that's a 45% reduction in in emissions in eight years. So right after that, there were people talking about this, and uh, uh, immediately following this event... Um, Daniel Jurgen appeared to pour cold water on the former Secretary of State plans. He said U.S. climate envoy's gestures uh, as he speaks during the U.N. climate change conference in Glasgow back in 2021. He said, I think in a word, it's transition. Um, it, yeah, it's transition and transitions unfold over a long period of time. So the reason why I mentioned that is it is going to be a while before you achieve that goal. And there are a lot of people in this country that think there's nobility in trying to get rid of fossil fuels. But in the meantime, the world's going to use them. And we have transferred the responsibility of production of those fossil fuels to nations that hate us. They are proving it. The UAE and Saudi Arabia won't even pick up the phone You've got the American economy is being stressed because of the huge increase in gas prices, partially due to what happened with Russia. The idea that this this narrative is going to stay alive, the narrative is Americans agree with Biden not doing business with Russia. Right. We do. The American public thinks that is the right thing to do. Then they can't say, well, you can't be upset about gas prices. Yes, you can when the administration refuses to produce more oil when we have the capability. Climate change rules the day with this administration. Period. End of story. They keep proving it over and over and over again. The president said it when he was a candidate. So here we have this war going raging between Russia and Ukraine. We have stopped economic ties, um, most favored nation status. We're not buying oil. We're doing all of those things which are correct. We're doing nothing on our home front to offset the damage that it does. That's what people are upset about. The fact that the world is still using fossil fuels and is going to continue to use fossil fuels for the next 20, 30, 40 years, even if we reach our goals. And in the meantime, we've turned over production to enemy states. The Iranians hate us. The Iranians are destined, I shouldn't say destined, are dead set on destroying Israel. They keep saying it. And we're still negotiating with this country on a nuclear arms deal. None of this makes sense in the real world. We've asked those four countries... To help us. Two didn't answer the phone and the other two are enemies. This is the position you put yourself in when climate change rules the day and you stop producing enough oil to be self-sufficient. Even Mexico, the nation of Mexico, is slowly getting rid of exports of their oil because Mexico is going to become energy independent with fossil fuels. Even Mexico is doing this. Coming up in a moment... Big news on education, and it's not necessarily good news. How prepared are your children when they go back to school? Wait to hear the stories about the standardized testing. That's coming up in just a moment. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you have not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, it's very simple to do, and you'll never miss a minute of the show ever again. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. You can get the most money selling your home for cash by going to highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. Um, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that education is a big issue for me and making sure that especially the youngest among us have a basic education so that if they don't take education very seriously when they get a little bit older, that when they're ready or whatever field they go into, they're equipped to learn that industry. And um, so I talk about this quite often. Uh, Arizona kids are not ready for standardized testing to return after COVID-19 teachers are warning. We've known this for a very, very long time. So uh, the testing comes after educators are calling the hardest year yet for catching students up. And again, this is not COVID-19 and the shutdowns, and we had all the political arguments about teachers forcing schools to close. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more about COVID a little later on in the comparison. Young people were the least likely, by miles, the least likely to become seriously ill or die from COVID-19. It wasn't even close. What we are dealing with now is what I predicted was going to happen, and that is the adverse effects of the shutdowns. Online learning, um, all of these mask mandates and the very, very young children. You look at speech therapists that are seeing younger and younger kids coming to them because they're not developing right. Because young children not only listen, but they read lips, and that's how they learn communication. And so much of this is important in the youngest among us. And these mask mandates and everything else, when it's the older people among us, The oldest among us who are the most likely, even now, even though they're the highest level of vaccinations, there's a story we're going to talk about later in the show about COVID-19 numbers, that we are having a hard time in Arizona getting people in nursing homes booster shots and vaccines. Why are we focusing on little kids with COVID-19 who are have very little chance of illness, and we're, we're, we are allowing older people in nursing homes who are at the highest threat? of serious illness or death, why are we not focused on them? So what we're seeing now is teachers and parents are scrambling because kids have fallen behind for two years in school. Kids were far behind. We're not letting the Biden administration off the hook with this inflation being um, expedited or, or accelerated because of what's happening in Russia. That is true. But the root cause of this began long before this invasion into Ukraine happened. Well, the same thing in education in Arizona. Kids were under grade level in math and reading long before COVID-19 came along. COVID-19 made it worse. So we're dealing with an issue where everybody should be pulling together. The politics are continuing. There's a story that was written in AZ Central. By the way, these both are AZ Central stories. School takeovers haven't seen much success across the U.S. Why is Arizona considering them? It has to do with charter schools and district schools. The fact is parents are looking for alternatives to education because the education system is not working. So you have one side of the aisle that continues to say money is the problem. Well, I will tell you and and let to be to be fair. This is a fair question. Teachers received a 20 percent raise in the budget, whether or not the school districts gave them that raise. I don't know. 
There are some districts where teachers didn't get their 20% raise. That was not because the money was there, wasn't there. That was because the school districts didn't allocate the money to salaries. But there was a 20% raise over three years allocated to teachers. Did we see a 20% improvement in education? We didn't. We are seeing students continue to fall behind. This isn't about the teachers. It never should be. It isn't about the administrators. It shouldn't be. This should be about the children. You want to know why parents are upset about curriculum in the classroom? Because the kids aren't being educated. If you've got kids reading at grade level, if you've got kids performing in math skills at grade level, then if that's happening and you start adding in other things that you think are valuable, well, that makes sense. Okay. So whether or not a critical race theory is a valuable tool or whether or not um, social emotional learning is a valuable tool, if uh, teaching kids at kindergarten level about transgender and gender identity is a valuable tool, is it more valuable or as valuable as learning to read, learning to write, learning math skills? Is it as valuable? The answer is it is not. So. You don't see curriculum changes. And this is what is really bothersome about all of this. You aren't seeing educators saying everything else goes to the side, especially with kids third grade and under. Nothing else happens until they can read and perform math skills at grade level. That's going to be our emphasis. Nothing else comes into the classroom. Not sex education, not critical race theory, not social emotional learning. Nothing gets in the way. We are in a crisis. These kids can't read, which means in 10, 15 years, we are going to be reaping what we have sown. We are going to have a generation of lost kids that not only didn't learn, but are having a difficult time learning. That's the biggest problem. You see, I wouldn't learn. When I was in high school, I wouldn't learn. I was a headstrong maniac of a kid that didn't want to go to school, so I didn't go. I went to work. I got a job in a restaurant when I was 12. I got my first real job at 15, and I wanted to be a grown-up. I made a lot of dumb choices. I didn't ever lose my ability to learn because when I was young, I was taught by people that focused on reading and the basic skills in school. I was taught by people, thank God, thank God I got the skills at a very young age. So at 18 years old, when I decided to be a real grown-up and not act like a fool, and I got into a trade that I loved as an electrician, I had the basic skills to learn. You know, I had the algebra skills, at least the basics of it, but I could learn. All the equations, you know, uh, every equation when it comes to wire sizing and conduit sizing and everything else as an electrician is algebra. When it comes to bending conduit and, and doing things of that nature, it's geometry. In order to write a proposal and read a contract as a business owner, I was able to do that. When I transitioned into this industry, I was able to read. I can read more now than I ever have in my life. And thank God that I had the basic skills at a young age that when learning finally meant something to me, I still had the ability to learn. No one had to teach me to read. No one had to teach me basic math skills. I didn't have to go to a remedial class. 
I went uh, I, one uh, one semester Arizona Christian University. I took a political ideology and worldview class and was terrified because the professor is is the uh, poli science uh, prof- uh, director over there. Um, and uh, Tracy Munsell is her name. And um, she was my professor. And she's also a friend. And I remember going into that class thinking, she's going to figure out what an idiot I am. I haven't been in a classroom since the 80s. And I had to write papers. And I had to do college coursework. I got an A in that class. A, it was a topic I loved. But B, I had the skills to do the work still. Now, I'm not bragging about that. I'm saying we are, we are failing these children that someday when they take learning seriously won't be able to. And that's on us. That's on us. Coming up in a moment, we're going to revisit um, a, a, an interview we did with cow, former county attorney Rick Romley about the current county attorney's office and the crisis of cases not being filed. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, the weather's getting warmer. KTAR and Fulton Homes are reminding you that two seconds is too long to take your eyes off kids around water. For life-saving, uh, for life-saving water safety tips and to enter to win swim lessons from the YMCA, just text the word SWIM to 620-620. I want to read a statement. Uh, we reached out to the county attorney's office to try to get the county attorney, Alistair Adell, on the show, and they responded with a statement. The Maricopa County Attorney's Office failed to review roughly 180 misdemeanor cases from 2020 prior to the expiration of the statute of limitations. The office took steps to notify law enforcement agencies and victims of this error. The office has also uh, redirected resources to ensure this error does not occur in the future. So that is their official statement from the county attorney's office. I want you to hear first from Governor Ducey. Governor Ducey was asked about this specifically and about the future of the county attorney. First, I want to say I want to express support for the line level prosecutors in that office. They are the unsung heroes of our criminal justice system, and they deserve support. This issue is really unacceptable. The police officers that put their life on the line every day and the victims of these crimes deserve justice. So I think we need to see this office turn itself around and restore confidence with the voters, the victims of crime, and every Everybody that wants to live in a safe community deserves that. What about Alistair Adele? Should she step down? What are your thoughts about her? I think leaders should take accountability for their actions and not blame people on their team. So he was obviously talking about that statement, saying that it was other people that did this, but he, he fell short. He, he did not say that she should step down. Um, there are a lot of questions. This is a very important government office. And one of the things that the governor said was absolutely 100 percent true in that the victims of crimes deserve justice. And when you don't receive it, um, and for me, when I was the victim of a crime and um, I was concerned that there was not going to be justice served, it makes you angry because when you don't take the law into your own hands, when you do the right thing, when you let other people handle it, when you don't resort to self-help and you trust the justice system and it fails you, it is, uh, there is, it's infuriating. And, and the more serious the crime, the worse it is. 
Former County Attorney Rick Romley was on with me. He was the Maricopa County Attorney for years here. And so I asked him, how does this happen? I don't quite understand how it slipped through the cracks for literally a year on misdemeanors. Generally, those are filed relatively quickly and in a timely manner. I mean, those are not the most complex. The police reports are generally pretty short, so it doesn't require a lot of attorney time on those particular matters. So I'm not quite sure how that had happened. I'm hearing that they are having significant problems with staffing, that they're not able to uh, recruit attorneys to come into the office. So that will increase the caseload. But quite frankly, there's just a lack of oversight by management. And um, I asked him about it being uh, if this was a common occurrence, and he said it's not. Um, what I didn't, I don't know, is I don't know how often it happens. Like I don't know when he was county attorney if it happened in his office and how often. Um, you know, uh, Supreme Court Justice Bill Montgomery was a previous county attorney, and I don't know if it happened during his administration and how often. So I don't know if it happens sometimes. But when you have a lump of when you have a chunk of cases like this, this is obviously. Obviously, a lack of oversight and the management in these offices and the, the damage to the reputation or I sh- to the office is immense. The damage to the relationship with law enforcement, you understand that the way it works is the county attorney's office and the prosecutors that are there work hand in hand with the detectives and the, the investigators with law enforcement and they gather the evidence And the county attorney's office prosecutes the cases. And when you do a very good job and you dot the I's and you cross the T's and you hand the county attorney's office a slam dunk, um, you have the expectation that they're going to make the shot. And when they make mistakes and they do this, it's an unacceptable thing for everyone in the county. And I, I think of life a lot of times in concentric rings. And on the outside of those, the furthest ring out from the center is us, the citizens of Maricopa County. We deserve to have faith in that office. And then as you move in from there, we know that the law enforcement agencies around have to have faith that the, their work is not going to go um, for nothing. And as you move closer to the center, you then have to face the victims of those crimes and explain to them that because of our mistake, you aren't going to get justice. That takes a long time for people to get past. There is a level of anger that comes with that because when you do the right thing, you expect the right thing to be done, especially if it's a violent crime. And in this case, domestic violence is part of it. If they're not going to prosecute those cases, DUIs, and I don't know, you know, it's a it's a misdemeanor, but what serious implications come from a DUI? So um, I think what I think needs to happen is there needs to be a better explanation directly from the county attorney. I think uh, Alistair Adele, instead of um, not uh, talking and putting out statements, she needs to talk even more. You can never, ever ever over explain in a crisis and this is a crisis and the people of maricopa county deserve to know more and hopefully we're going to find out more coming up what we're going to do coming up in the next hour is we're going to give you an update on what's happening in ukraine the war effort and what uh president Zelensky is saying to the russian soldiers all that's coming up next